Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. This is Pete Vecchi, and I'm glad to be with you today. I am in the studio today, as is Vicki Cundiff, and joining us remotely, we have Don McDonald from Illinois and Mick Wells from here in Ohio. Gentlemen, it's good to have both of you with us as well. Good to be with Thank you, Pete. Good to be with you, Pete. Good seeing you. All right, and so... Uh, we are going to do our best to work with the fact that there are some delays. You may have heard just a touch of crosstalk there. That's because there is sometimes a little bit of a delay, and that's just a technical thing. But you know what? This technology is wonderful. We are still coming to you with the Word of God, and the wonderful thing is that through the Internet, people can hear this throughout the entire world. And the topic today is going to be led by Vicki, Vicki, I am looking forward to this because you have said that the name of the topic is The Commandment to Love. So why don't you take it away from here? Okay, you know, I was praying about what to lead, and uh, I kept having this feeling like, you know, with everything going on in the world today, you know, COVID has just run rampant across the world, and, and what that has done to people, not only through their health, but through their livelihood and mental stress and emotions and, and everything. And it just felt like God was sharing that we needed to share the Word of God and what it means to love. Because um, there's also a lot, I know in our country and other countries as well, there's just turmoil going on in other ways uh, outside of that. Uh, and so I just felt like that God wanted us to really talk about what it means from His perspective and the biblical perspective to love. And actually, we're going to see in here that it's a command. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So the Beatles, they sang a song in 1967 written by two of its members, and it was titled, All You Need Is Love. And Mick, I know you do cross connections, and so you take certain old songs or whatever, and you uh, bring the biblical perspective out of some of them. So I was wondering, did you ever do this one, All You Need Is Love? I don't recall that we did. Bob may recall better than I. But uh, it's certainly a, a good candidate because the, the subject ties into Scripture so well. Yeah, it does. So I was curious, and so I counted it, and love is quoted 61 times in that song. And the last minute of the song, you remember if it just keeps repeating, love is all you need, yep. you know, over and over and over. And I, I stopped, uh, stopwatched it. It was a minute yep. uh, because it kept going on. So obviously they're trying to make the point of the need to love each other, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And so there are many songs that are written about love, and we know that. Um, and love is needed in our world, um, in all walks of society, in all relationships. And would you agree that basically people believe that we need love in the world? I believe that a lot of people are saying, yeah, can't we all just get along? Can't we all just love? And I'm hoping that as we go through this today, we're going to kind of talk about what it means to truly love as it is from God's perspective. But yes, people will say it's all about loving each other. It's all about loving each other. Yeah, or we'll love each other for a certain amount of time, you know, for unless we move on to something else. But biblically, that's not true either, is it? Um, so God is going to show us and does show us through his word about what love is. So Jesus exemplified love when he walked upon the earth. 
and really no one was unworthy of his attention. If you've read the Gospels, you know that that is true. Uh, No one was beneath him. He didn't reject anybody because of their appearance or their status in life. And if you remember, if you've read the Gospels, then the religious leaders would get upset over that, wouldn't they? (laughs) And uh, they would get upset with him if he associated with tax collectors. Uh, Remember Zacchaeus? And of course, Matthew became one of his disciples and he would go eat with them. or So anyone that he would uh, connect with in that way, they would kind of condemn him for it. But in reality, don't you think that Jesus was showing them what love really looks like? Well, sure. Yeah, and that God is love, and this was kind of like a new concept uh, for them. But these religious leaders, they were meticulous about keeping the letter of the law, but they missed the main point of God's law, which is at the heart of it is love, isn't it? All those instructions and commands that... Uh, God gave, you know, through the law, it was explaining really how to treat people and what love looks like. But this seems like these religious leaders, they just missed that. And so they acted like that they were better than other people. And so uh, Jesus kind of rubbed him wrong <laughs> in how he was uh, teaching. Uh, but he was trying to show them what love looks like. And so before Jesus was crucified uh, and arrested and then crucified, He met only with his disciples and shared the Passover meal with them. Now, I can imagine that that was a very special time, a very emotional time. Um, He told them a variety of different things. Uh, That's through uh, chapters 13 through 17 of John, if our listeners want to look that up and read about that. Um, But he told them that he was about to die, and naturally that was upsetting to them. But he said he wasn't going to leave them alone. He was going to send the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit was going to be a comforter. Um, and would remind them of what he had already told them. And uh, he also warned them that there was going to be persecution, and he prayed for them, and he prayed with them. But then he spoke about the importance of loving each other, and that's, that's the heart of what we're going to talk about today. And so, Mick, if you could read John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, please. Sure. And Jesus is framing this as a, a new directive. He says, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other, just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. All right, so this is not the first time that the disciples heard Jesus speak of love as a commandment. So at at some point while he was walking upon the earth with them and teaching, someone asked him, which was the greatest commandment? And he was talking about particularly the Ten Commandments, and he said, which, which is the greatest? And, of course, that guy's intention was he was trying to trap Jesus. Right. Uh, but Jesus always rose above that. And he summed up the Ten Commandments with two. And, Don, would you read Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven through 39, please? Sure. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So what is Jesus talking about here? He said uh, the entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. What is he trying to say? I know as, as I was reading through it personally, it's all connected into one thought the drive to love as god loves us of walking in that love and the commandments are celebration of that love that god gives us that was the first thought i had and then the second thought as i was reading through the text this afternoon is as yourself 
I don't know how often I've spent time with people saying, hey, if you're walking in love with the Lord, you have to love yourself as God loves you. One of the major issues I think we have in our culture is the inability to love ourselves as God loves us. And, and when we walk in the commandments, it's as much a celebration of how we love ourselves as God loves us as we love the world too. And that was sort of some of my reflections on that part of that self-love that celebrates walking in the presence of God through the Ten Commandments. I like that because I think it's important that we think that of ourselves and love ourselves because I don't think unless we do that we're truly able to love in this way that God is calling us to. Mm -hmm. Mick, did you have something you wanted to add to that? No, I, I do think, though, it's important that we recognize when people talk about love that it, it may mean different things to different people. And let me go back a little here. For the 61 times the Beatles sang the word love, we, we can't trace what they did to any original Greek word. There, you know, there are four, four Greek words for love, and when people talk about love, the word love in English is popular, it's commonly accepted, but I think it means different things to different people. We have to look in the scriptures at what the Greeks have termed agape love, which is a love, a Christ-like love. It's, it's not uh, uh, the other types, a brotherly love, uh, an erotic love, or uh, the third one was, I believe, Storge, and, but the lion's share of what we're reading today in these scriptures, Vicki, is uh, agape, or its um, verb form, agapeo, which is a godly love, which is hard to come by naturally, and if people talk about love and they don't know God, it makes you wonder what they really mean. That's true, Mick, and um, I'm glad you brought that up, because if you wouldn't have, I think I was going to, and just to um, jump off from where you kind of ended that, one of the things that I have always heard and that it's been very, very profound in my life is love, at least as far as the agape, that unconditional love, is not an emotion. Can I say that? It is not an emotion. Emotions... And, and Don, with the psychology background, you'll probably, hopefully, will back me up on this, that um, you cannot command a, an emotion. You cannot um, say that emotion in and of itself is good or bad. An emotion is an emotion. It's what we do with it. And so God is not commanding us to feel a certain way. He is commanding us to do a certain thing. And that unconditional love means to be primarily concerned with the well-being of the other, regardless of circumstance or response. Yeah, I like that because it's a choice that we make that we're going to love. Uh, but it is important not to live in our emotions. You know, uh, you mentioned our emotions in that as well. Uh, because if we only react constantly by our emotions, we're going to make mistakes, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, in a lot of different areas. But love is who God is. It's the heart of the gospel of Christ. Uh, the commands of God throughout the Bible are uh, all based solely on our love for Him and our love for people. And you know, Vicki, as you were saying that about our love for people, 
I always, when I preach and teach about love, I spend a lot of time on agape love, sacrifice, and empathy. Because the gospel is about empathizing with humankind and where they are in the presence of God. And many times they feel broken, they feel separated. And we have to go down into, as it were, the pit, the hole they're at, and care for them and bring them up out of that pit together, understanding where they are and what they're doing. So, you know, that commandment to love, that agape love, is not as much an emotion as it is an action when you're looking at agape love. I like that, Don. Um, and I know that we're just about getting to our time for our break, so we're going to break now for our sponsor, and we'll be right back with the second half of today's episode of Reconciling Grace. Well, we're going to continue our topic on love, and we talked just previously that love is who God is and it's the heart of the gospel. Jesus had always lived a life of love in front of his disciples, but he really emphasized it one night on his last night with them, as we were talking earlier, uh, by washing their feet. And this was the job of a servant, wasn't it? In fact, it was the lowest uh, job, wasn't it, uh, as a servant, you know, in the home. And so when you think about it, Jesus had been mentoring for three and a half years now these future leaders. These were men that he chose to preach the gospel and spread the gospel of Christ and to start the church. And it's interesting that he gave them an important visual lesson of what a leader should be, and that is a humble servant. And so this was just the opposite of how the Jewish leaders behaved. Uh, if we would take time to read it, I'm just going to kind of mention it here, but uh, at the beginning of uh, chapter 23 of Matthew, Jesus told the disciples and the whole crowd of people that was listening to him that day, and this is really bold, <laughs> he told them to obey the religious leaders and obey the law that they taught, but don't follow their example. He said they don't practice what they preach, and everything they do is for show. You know, when leaders don't practice what they preach, how does that affect the church? Well, why should a person do it if their leader doesn't do it? Uh, it just makes no sense. Um, but I'd also like to go back a little bit to this whole idea of you know what they were doing. They seemed, as you mentioned before the break, to be so worried about the letter of the law. They. I believe that these Pharisees had gotten to the point where it was just something that didn't mean anything to them. It wasn't about getting close to God. It was about being right. Mm -hmm. And it was almost as though their human um, achievements, I guess would be the best word, was what made them important, especially in their own eyes. And when somebody is important in his or her own eyes, and that somebody is a leader of people, that's the message that they are going to give to the people who they are supposedly leading. And I believe that it wasn't just this generation of Pharisees and priests and religious leaders who dealt with this. It had probably been happening for generations and generations, and it had built up to this point where they lost the reason for following these rules and following these laws. Um, they're, 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 hearts were far from God is what, what Jesus said about them. He said that Isaiah prophesied about that. So it had been going on for a long time. Yeah. And it's not anything that can't happen today. And so 
there are still leaders out there that don't practice what they preach. And it does have a huge effect on the church. You know, people can get by with that for a while, uh, but God brings out truth. And once somebody starts noticing that they're not practicing the truth, then that's going to affect the church. You know, they're, how are they going to uh, respect what they're saying and what they're teaching if they're not living it? Or what if people think, oh, well, if that's the lifestyle I can lead, then you know, it might lead the church down the wrong path. And so uh, this is a valuable lesson to us as well. Jesus had tell, told the crowd back then, the disciples this, but it's also important for us today. Uh, we're supposed to be following Jesus, right? I hope so. Yeah. So Jesus modeled to his disciples uh, what a Christian leader should look like, which is one who loves God and loves people, one who humbly serves God and people. But I truly believe the greatest example of love that he showed them that night was how he treated the disciple Judas. And we know what happened there, right? Uh, They was at the Passover, going to eat this meal. And remember, Jesus looked at them and said, one of you is going to betray me. And he knew who it was ahead of time. He knew this was going to happen. And he even said to Judas, you know, what are you going to do? Do quickly. But we don't read that he screamed and yelled at him. <laughs> you know what we do read? And what? you have to kind of imply it from, from the way that it was written in the scriptures. But he did wash Judas's feet. He did. He did. And so what a great example of love mm-hmm. that that was. But think of what it would have been like if he hadn't showed that agape love we've been talking about even to somebody that was going to cause him to suffer such horrendous pain uh, that was going to lead him to uh, the cross. And so he loved him in spite of this deep betrayal that he must have felt from someone that he was living with over these three and a half years, ministering with, someone had become family to him. And so it really hurts when the, the person... Uh, betrays you as someone that you love and and to me I think maybe even more importantly when that person is supposed to love you and they turn on you and they betray you Um, but Jesus here is telling us you know he gives us this great example he's telling us in in words to love each other but he's also giving this great example here because God's command God commands his children to love everyone even those who have done us wrong and so do you think that is difficult? You know, this ought to get us into a big discussion here, guys, because we know that that is difficult, isn't it? Well, it's certainly not natural um, to do that. It, it takes a real uh, act of obedience uh, to the will of God to love people that would betray us. Uh, I've often wondered about the situation with Judas, too. Uh, Jesus you know, expressed love toward toward Judas, fully knowing that, as I believe the scripture says, that at one point Satan entered into him. Almost makes you wonder if Judas was even responsible for the betrayal that he perpetrated on, on the Lord and Savior. Um, and I don't know what you think of that. I believe Judas was responsible for his actions, but uh, that's highly unusual. I don't think I've ever seen it, and yet we're commanded to love people in, even under those circumstances. And you know, Mick, when, when you were mentioning that, um, early in my ministry years, I had someone that had been sexually abused by a camp counselor. Wow. And, and 
after she had gone through intense therapy and they were figuring out what was going on, her first step of trying to love someone who had so violated her was just praying for that person and praying for forgiveness and working on releasing this person so that she could have some form you know of love for that person who had so violated her and you know over the years that I preached on loving your enemy Romans 12:9 in particular you know pouring coal on them taking care of them feeding them you know um, praying for your enemy I over the years that I've done Sunday school after saying that there are some people that get really angry saying you want me to pray for my enemy when they've done this you know from sexual abuse to whatever and I says, if you want to walk fully in love with the Father in heaven through Jesus Christ as empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, well, I true. think that's, um, that is a, a fine example of expressing love through obedience and not any kind of, of feeling. You know, I've often wondered how battered spouses deal with uh, their marriages in, in situations like that where they're commanded to love someone, but it doesn't come natural at all. In, in fact, the, the natural part of us would want to lash out and get revenge. So obedience, in terms of, like you expressed there, praying for the individual is, is the ultimate thing that can be done. You may not even feel like you're behind the prayer, but you're being obedient to what God says in terms of loving your enemies. It's a step forward is the way I would put it, Mick. You know, it's that little step to begin to love. Yeah. And I think you guys are just hitting the same topic that I was going to mention. Um, you, you talked about exactly the same things I was going to bring up. Uh, part of it is what is love, and, and Mick, you kind of touched on that. Um, it's not just that emotion. And what it is what it means to me when when someone has hurt me or has hurt a member of my family or whatever it's not that i have to like them can i use that word it's 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 possible to not like somebody but still love them and what i mean is this i don't necessarily want to hang around with them i don't want to necessarily be in their company a lot but i need to love them meaning that i want what is ultimately best for them and what is ultimately best for them is that they come to know Jesus Christ and that is what my prayer is is that they come to know Jesus Christ I still might not want to hang out around them I still might not want to you know do anything that has any contact with them but the word was used in your conversation guys about vengeance the Lord says, vengeance is mine, meaning his. And that's the key is I think we still, especially in our English language, get the idea of love hung up on this emotion. And what we're looking at here is not a strong emotion. It is a decision to be primarily concerned with the well-being and in this case the spiritual well-being of the other and I know Don that that's not what you would want to say to somebody who has just gone through an intense thing such as um, you know a, a, a rape or a or an abuse situation but as as somebody who's just right now trying to teach the word that's kind of where I understand it to be and, and and I guess, Pete, when I was reflecting on that a little bit, you know, when you're 
trying to be in the word, it goes back to agape love and empathy and how do we bring that to life even with those who have hurt us and how do we show that we can care for them in in such a marvelous way that's such a struggle to show and live. Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I think it's really important because it doesn't come naturally, like Mick said. I totally agree with that. It is very important that the church is teaching this and preaching this. You know, you mentioned that that's what you, you preach a lot about, about love, and, and so do I. I think it's very important, but also to go back to where Jesus said you have to practice it. And so, you know, people getting to that point where there, there's a lot of abusive situations and that has a, a lot of different avenues of that, of different types of abusive situations. And so when that is going on, often people are still living in these situations where they're called to love. And so that's what makes it really, really difficult. And sometimes, uh, of course, if it's sexual abuse, abuse that was mentioned, that's a different kind of thing. But if it's, a, if it's verbal or something like that, sometimes it's a matter of people really trying to push your buttons. Because uh, I remember reading this uh, book of verbally, emotionally, uh, people that are verbally abused and they was talking in a chapter in there about anger and people that get angry and live by anger actually get a euphoria feeling when they unload on you but it's interesting and i've witnessed this before this really happening so i know this is true it's interesting that they don't really get that euphoria completely until you receive what they did if it, if it doesn't bother you and you just let it roll off of you then then they're okay with they're not okay with that they they've got to make it hurt you and then they can smirk or laugh or or whatever and so when you're in those kind of situations as maybe a lot of our listeners are in in situations that is ongoing we realize as a group that this is not always easy to do but we learn it from the experiences of life and obedience was mentioned that we want to obey Christ but um, and you know loving your enemies and this is important but I think one thing that I want to point out to really share is how freeing that it is if you hang on to that stuff then they're still abusing you in that sense it's kind of like you're they're still controlling that situation so if if you choose to love and and to obey this commandment to love uh, God is not trying to pound his fist down and say you need to obey this. He's trying to say this is what's best for you. You're gonna you're gonna feel great by this and and how you're going to uh, be in a relationship uh, with people. And so it's it's a great command, but it's it's not always easy. But it has to be a choice that we make uh, that we're going to love. Right. Can I um, also add to that because what you said is wonderful, and the key to me is that. We don't have the strength. If we have been in that situation, we don't have the strength to love. All we can do is instead of looking and saying, I need to love that person because God said to love that person. No, the time to do that is after we have taken that deep breath and we said, I need to love God. And I need to have God fill me with his love. And it's only at that point that we can even have the slightest bit of opportunity to maybe somehow let that go a little bit and maybe start to love that other person. Mm-hmm. And so we can't love in our own strength. We have to love God first. And, and and that goes to what we said at the very beginning, the the two greatest commandments are love God, mm-hmm. and the second is like it, love others. I don't believe we can love others until we have first loved God, and to fully love God means to have Jesus Christ be the one who reconciles us to God 
out and have Jesus Christ live within us through his Holy Spirit so that we are experiencing the love of God in our hearts. I truly believe that. And I just talked so long there, Vicki. I hope that I didn't um, do too much there, but it got to the point where we are just about out of time for today's episode. So I just want to thank Vicki for sharing this, and we're going to go to a part two of this for our next episode. And so Vicki here in the studio, Vicki Cundiff, Don McDonald, and Mick Wells joining us from remote locations. This is Pete Vecchi with you. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. May God bless you. See you next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.